0: Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are set to have fabulous Labor Day weekends. I am doing this show. I am doing an interview with Lisa Booth. And then I think I am out for college football festivities. Uh, You will be able to uh, see me. uh, Nowhere, I don't believe. But you will be able to follow me on Twitter, at Clay Travis. Uh, I will be tweeting. I will be at the Tennessee-Virginia game tomorrow uh, in Nashville. I am excited for that. I obviously will be gambling and watching uh, a ton of college football. I'm excited. We have started off 2-0. and I will tell you about the two games that I watched the most on Thursday night, what we learned from those games. Uh, we got a big battle between Charter and the ESPN Over the future, I believe, of how sports fans consume sports, Ronald Acuna on fire, ACC expansion, Uh, SMU, Stanford, and Cal are headed to the ACC. Alabama's got a new quarterback. I will give you 16 winners over the course of today's show. We are 2-0, and let's begin with what we learned last night in college football's kickoff games. Utah beat Florida. Salt Lake City rejoices as, for the first time ever, Rice-Eccles Stadium hosted an SEC football team. Florida rolled into town. Mertz was okay, but Florida was bad. Uh, And so, first, I want to say congratulations to Utah. You were the better team, the more physical team on the lines of scrimmage. Five sacks to none. Uh, That is usually evidence of who ends up winning the football game. Uh, Florida not good in the red zone. And the under blood bank guarantee, number one, I have two more, hits with ease, a full 10-point win uh, for all of you. I hope you listened to me yesterday, tapped the vein, and went along for a ride on uh, opening weekend with the Blood Bay Guarantee cashing. Now, Utah, I think, is going to be fine. Lots of injuries in the first week. Kyle Whittingham has built a very good program out there. I am a fan. Utah defending Pac-12 champs. This will be the last year probably the Pac-12 ever plays football, which is crazy to think about, Uh, and we'll get to that here momentarily. But what I would be concerned about is not Utah. Cam Rising's eventually going to be back. Utah is going to be a top 10, 15 caliber team. Florida's in trouble. To me, there are multiple stories that are told on any given football game. People say, oh, you can't overreact. I disagree. I think you can overreact. Sorry, you can't overreact when you only have 12 games. It's basically, what is that? 8% of the season? Every single time you watch your team play, you definitely can react. And I don't think you can overreact in college football. I think you can overreact very often in the NFL because you're dealing with professionals. I don't think you can overreact when you only get 12 opportunities to review a team. And really, a lot of the time, you don't really get a chance to review a team because in major college football, you often have two or three games that are absolute mismatches, that's not the case for this Florida Gators uh, season. Because I think the Florida Gators, I really do believe this. I think this is the most challenging college football season, potentially, that I have ever seen any team have. And that, my friends, is not hyperbole. And if you're out there and you're like, you don't have any idea what you're talking about, Clay, I don't think people... Gator fans know what I'm talking about because they're like, yeah, we're in trouble now. I don't think most college football fans have really realized what Florida has on the schedule. So let me just run through the schedule, and then I'll tell you why I'm alarmed by what I saw on the football field as an impartial observer who was very happy to have made a decent amount of money on the under. Okay, Florida next week plays McNeese. That's going to be a win. Here's the rest of their lineup. Tennessee. Tennessee is the biggest favorite that they have ever been going into the swamp. We'll see what the balls look like tomorrow. I'll see it in person against Virginia. Okay, then you get Charlotte. Okay, that should be a win. Other than that, other than Charlotte and McNeese, Florida has, I believe, the 10 toughest games that I've ever seen on a regular season schedule. Look at this. Florida, on the road against Kentucky. We were like, oh, Kentucky – Kentucky's top 40 team. It's not that easy of a game. Vanderbilt, okay. Maybe Vanderbilt's not going to be very good. At South Carolina, I think South Carolina will win that game. By the way, I think Kentucky will beat Florida. I think Tennessee's going to beat Florida. Georgia, Florida's going to lose in the cocktail party. Arkansas, wouldn't stun me if Arkansas wins that game. At LSU, Florida is going to lose. At Missouri, Florida. Wouldn't surprise me if Florida loses. Florida State, Florida is probably going to lose that one too. Florida still has. Tennessee, they still have uh, Georgia. They still have LSU, and they still have Florida State. That's four teams ranked higher than Utah, and Florida still has to go on the road at Missouri – They still have to play Arkansas. They have to go on the road at South Carolina. This is a truly brutal schedule. Okay? And I don't think this Florida Gator team is very good. And let me explain why I don't think they're very good. I try not to get focused on play calling because guys can execute or not execute when it comes to the play itself. But... There were a lot of plays called, it seemed to me, last night that presupposed that Graham Mertz was going to have a lot of time in the pocket, and guess what? He did it. I don't know why Florida thought, hey, let's run a lot of hitch-and-goes. Let's have Graham pump fake all day long and see whether or not we can catch the Utah corners jumping uh, the pass play. They threw the ball 44 times, Florida did. That's way too many. And I I understand a lot of people are like, oh, Graham Mertz, he's not very good. I mean, he threw for 333 yards. I didn't think he was the problem. Florida couldn't run the football. Guys, 21 rush attempts for 13 total yards. Now, the sack yards come off of the rushing yards, so that factors in here. 21 times, they couldn't run the football. The fact that they threw the ball 44 times is really alarming to me. Okay? So I didn't like what Florida itself was saying, which is effectively we can't run on Utah. If you can't run on Utah, you ain't running on Georgia. You ain't running on LSU. I have serious doubts whether you can run on Tennessee and Florida State. All right, That's the four best teams remaining on this schedule. So that is scary. Year two. You go back and you listen to my uh, shows for years. You go back and read my columns. In year two, you know whether your coach is the guy or not. And that's why I've hammered home on this pick. And this is big deal. Every SEC coach that has won a uh, SEC championship has won at least two uh, nine games by year two. Let me repeat that. If you are going to win an SEC championship, you have won at least nine games by year two. Now, some guys did it in year one. Some guys inherit better situations than others. But everybody by year two, you can tell, hey, how are things going? Especially the case now with transfer policy and everything else. You can turn over a lot of a roster in two years and instill a culture. This did not look like a well-coached Florida Gator team to me. They were often having trouble getting lined up. They had multiple procedure penalties. They had slow developing plays. They couldn't run the football. This did not feel to me like a program that is on the upswing in year two with Billy Napier. Now, maybe it's going to change. Maybe there are going to be reasons to be more optimistic going forward. I have my doubts. And I saw this... Uh, from a Florida Gator message board. Uh, After this game, uh, there was a thread where Florida Gator fans said, we really hired a slightly cooler Butch Jones. Really funny line, and I think a lot of you out there, you're like, "Hmm. is Billy Napier Florida's version of Butch Jones? Think about it. And then uh, this is from Gators online. Uh, Somebody responded, Uh, And this is, uh, again, good sense of humor, laughing through the tears a bit. A Florida Gator fan responded, yeah, but we could have hired a slightly less cool Butch Jones. Look on the bright side. I am very nervous based on the product that I saw on the field last night. Look, if Billy Napier's team had come out and they had lost 24-21 on the road at Utah, electric road environment, huge game for Utah, I would say, okay, like, pump the brakes a little bit, right? They're going to be okay. This is maybe the fifth-best opponent that Florida is going to play this year. They got to get a lot better, and they got to get a lot better really fast. Defense didn't look fast to me. Defense didn't look well-organized to me, by and large, and the defense was way better than the offense. Florida, to me, last night did not look like a team that's going to win six or more games. This looked like a team, to me, after week one, uh, analyzing, usually you see the biggest jump between week one and week two, all those general cliches. This did not look like a team that is going to be bowl eligible, to me. When you factor in their uh, their season, McNeese and Charlotte, again, I'm reading off the ESPN uh, schedule, did they used to have Miami? Did they buy out Miami in this thing? Uh, I, I I'm curious how all of that shakes out. Um, but to me, that is going to be intriguing to see how all of this comes down. I'm 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 very afraid of how the Billy Napier era is going so far. If I'm a Florida Gator, now to be fair, there's a really good recruiting class right now of commitments that he has. Are all those guys going to stay committed? If Florida goes 5-7 and seven or 4-8, and eight, just asking. Is he Butch Jones? Butch Jones recruited pretty well. Not a very well-disciplined team. This did not look like a well-coached and well-disciplined Florida Gator team last night. Uh, all right, that's my analysis of Utah-Florida. Also watched some. I was primarily watching Utah-Florida, but I watched some of the Minnesota-Nebraska game. And yesterday I came on, I said, man, Nebraska Cornhuskers, one of the best fan bases in all of college sports, 92,000 people showing up for women's volleyball. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's incredible. Credit to all of you. But, man, what a catch on 4th and 10. Yes, I think there was a false start. 4th and 10, maybe the catch of the year. One foot in the air, being held in the air while you toe drag swag the left one. My boys love to go in the backyard and say they want toe, dra- dag. toe drag swag catches to make. I don't know if your boys want this. Dad goes out in the backyard, throws with the boys. They're trying to get both feet down. Uh, that is the way that they uh the, the the phrase that they use that I think everybody kind of has adopted, but certainly younger kids have. The ultimate toe drag swag for the tie. Then Sims throws the interception. Um, Coming back the other way, Minnesota bangs through a field goal. Matt Rule, now we covered because we had Nebraska plus 7.5 on the picks. But if I'm a Nebraska fan, they've had 14 one-score losses since the start of 2021, and it feels like they have had the lead in every single one of those games. I don't know what sort of exorcism needs to occur, but it feels like the Nebraska football program is cursed. And I know if you are a Cornhusker fan and you are listening to me discuss this right now, you are nodding along because, look, I love Nebraska. I love iconic fan bases, programs. I talked about Tommy Frazier, Scott Frost the player, Tom Osborne. The late 90s, so much fun to watch that wishbone attack. They've fallen apart. Um, And to me, 14-1 score losses, it felt like Nebraska just found a way to lose that game. They dominated the line of scrimmage. I talked about the fact that Utah dominated the line of scrimmage. Minnesota couldn't run the football. Nebraska had control of this game, gave it away, Loses 13 to 10. Tough one for Cornhusker fans to start off. You're in the middle of what basically feels like a 20 year nightmare. I understand it on some level because Tennessee has been in that scenario. Now, Tennessee just went 11 and 2, and everything seems to be rolling now with Josh Heipel. Uh, but that is a tough spot to find yourself in. But we went 2 and 0 oh in those games. Uh, let me get set up to give you my picks on the games going forward uh, because we have got, I hope, a lot more winners for all of you to be able to enjoy uh, going forward. Uh, but so here are, I gave you 18 winners, 18 winners. We went 2-0 and in week one, went 2-2 and in week zero, by the way, but I didn't write it up. Every Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, there is going to be uh, the setup. So we went 2-0 last night. Blood bank guarantee caches. Uh, let me give you Arkansas State at Oklahoma. I'm on the over. Ball State at Kentucky, the over. These are all up at OutKick, by the way, and I will tweet them out. And another blood bank guarantee is the over in the Kentucky game. Colorado TCU, I like the over. Virginia, Tennessee, I will be at this game tomorrow in Nashville. I like the over. Utah State plus the points at Iowa. A&M minus the points against New Mexico. UMass-Auburn, the over. Uh, Ohio State-Indiana, I've got Indiana plus the points. Uh, Rice plus the points at Texas. Nevada-USC, the over. MTSU plus the points at Bama, by the way, update on this game. Nick Saban has officially announced Jalen Milrow as the starting quarterback there over Notre Dame transfer. Uh, and over five-star quarterback Ty Simpson. We'll see how much of a commitment to Jalen Milrow there is and how many quarterbacks actually play. I got West Virginia plus the points at Penn State. North Carolina, South Carolina, I've got the over. Old Dominion plus the points. Northwestern plus the points. Third blood bank of the opening weekend. Tap the veins on the over in Kentucky Ball State and also the under in LSU at Florida State. So those are the 16 gambling picks that I have remaining. I will tweet this out in the near future. You can go get your bets in. You can go get rich based on all of that. Okay, we'll be right back. Got to take a little break here. We are rolling without kicking. You don't want to miss a moment. Stay tuned. Non-football news. The ACC has expanded and added SMU, Stanford, and Cal. I told you that I thought this was likely to be the choice that they made because I think ESPN wants to have some connection to West Coast College football. They no longer will have any Oregon, any Washington, any USC, or any Cal, uh, or any um, uh, UCLA games in the uh, in the Big Ten now with those schools there. So SMU-Stanford-Cal, this means the biggest loser in all of this is Oregon State and Washington State. They are the only two remaining Pac-12 schools. I feel bad for Oregon State and Washington State who are the biggest losers that I can remember in a Power 5 conference to essentially be left standing when the game of musical chairs, the music stops. So stanford Cal and Southern uh, SMU going to the ACC. What's interesting about this is, first of all, I would say the biggest winner here is SMU. Uh, And I would say they're the biggest winner for this reason. Biggest losers, Oregon State, Washington State, biggest winner, SMU. Why is SMU the biggest winner? They are jumping massively up into a new conference. And while we talk a lot about uh, uh, athletics, and I do think this will be very important for SMU's athletics program, the biggest part here to me is academic. SMU has always envied the Vanderbilts of the world, the Northwesterns of the world. SMU has seen itself as an elite academic institution. They see themselves as the kind of school that competes with Vanderbilt. Now, They are going to be in the same conference with Wake Forest, North Carolina, University of Virginia, and Duke. There are other good schools, certainly, that are out there uh, in the ACC. Boston College. I'm talking about really elite academic schools. And now SMU is going to be seen as a direct peer of those schools. Phenomenal campus right in the heart of Dallas, right in an incredible neighborhood. A lot of you have been to SMU. A lot of you have experienced uh, what they can be. I think this is huge. I think SMU is the biggest winner of this round of conference expansion. I think that unfortunately for Oregon State and Washington State fans, they are the biggest losers, okay? Um, Also, these schools, based on what I have read, have agreed that they are not going to get a full payout until 2033. Why is this significant? The ACC's current television deal ends in 2036. So these schools are taking less money over a decade for a long-term investment in a conference that may collapse starting in 2036. Now, that's a long way away, 12 years from now. I just hope I'm alive. But the ACC clock is ticking, and I'm not sure that the ACC has a really long-range future. Just keep this in mind uh, as we look here. Also, this was not a unanimous vote. North Carolina, Clemson, and Florida State all voted against the ACC expanding. This is rare. Usually, these conferences all want to look like it is unanimous, For everyone to make the decision not to support this is, again, a little bit of a wobbly foundation for the ACC. And I think as we get into the 2030s, a prediction out there is that in the 2030s, there's going to be a potential raid coming on the ACC schools by the SEC and by the Big Ten. So I think, this is just my prediction, I think the ACC, as we get into the 2030s, may have a little bit of a danger zone, much like what we just saw happen to the Pac-12. So there is my conference realignment analysis. As I told you, I expected SMU, Stanford, and Cal to end up in the ACC. That became uh, the truth early this morning. Now, uh, no response, by the way, from my buddy Keith Olbermann to my challenge to him to debate whether men should be able to compete in women's athletics. But I give a shout-out to Riley Gaines. Phenomenal video response she gave to Keith Olbermann, who is 64 years old, going after a 23-year-old top swimming athlete who now works at OutKick as a part of many things that she does. But Riley Gaines, dominant there, props to the SEC. She broke one of her trophies. The SEC has already reached out to replace one of her trophies, which I thought was fantastic by the Southeastern Conference as well. Uh, Much less significant news uh, in terms of Major League Baseball uh, than what has happened with the ACC, but props to Ronald Acuna, who I think is going to be the MVP, I believe, of the NL this year. Ronald Acuna, 30 home runs, 60 stolen bases. No one has ever done this in the history of Major League Baseball. We have played baseball for a very, very long time. No one has ever before in the history of the sport hit 30 home runs and stolen 60 bases. Ronald Acuna and the Braves, I believe, are 43 games right now, over 500. Uh, I went to bed last night without checking to make sure that the Braves won their game uh, against the Dodgers last night they did 8 to 7 the Braves now are 33 games over 500 best record in baseball biggest threat to the Braves probably winning the NL is in uh the uh, LA Dodgers who were also very good Braves get the one and win in game 1 that series worth paying attention to if you are a baseball fan uh, as the Braves-Dodgers will be playing after 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, I'll be going to a uh, to a high school football game. Going to be going to a lot of high school football games in the future. Okay, this is a big story. I don't know how many of you right now have Charter Spectrum uh, cable packages, but my understanding is 15 million households of the remaining 70 million ESPN households in America have Charter Spectrum Cable Service. And last night, they turned off the ESPN channels right as college football was starting. And I don't believe the team that records this, somebody Google this and make sure that there hasn't been any resolution yet. There certainly is a major battleground going on right now. Uh, Charter and ESPN are in a fight. And to me, this fight is very important for every sports fan out there because the fight is, on its most basic level, a question of how you and me and every sports fan in America is going to be able to consume sports going forward. And I want to start with this. This It's going to be a little bit of a detailed analysis because I I do think this is all very, very important. For most of our lives, I I have uh, Xfinity, all right? I have Comcast. I like being able to just grab a remote, turn on a television broadcast, and watch every game that I want to. And I am 44 years old. If you are my age, or you're probably within 20 years of my age or 25 years of my age in either direction, the cable and satellite bundle has been a golden era for sports fans. Because I'm old enough to remember when I couldn't watch every game that I wanted to watch. I'm an old man in that respect. I'm probably the last age group that even remembers this. I remember two things, having to listen to a game on the radio, not because I was driving in a car, but because it wasn't available on television. And I also remember going to buy a newspaper because the internet didn't exist, and I wanted to know who was going to win a game. And I'm old enough to remember how upset I used to get when my favorite teams played on the West Coast and the game ended before the newspaper could put the score in uh, to the box scores. right? That's how old I am. Some of you have no recollection of that. If I mention it to my kids, they're like, what are you talking about, Dad? You're an old man. I remember having to look up scores in a newspaper and also – having to listen to games on the radio, not because I chose to, but because the game was not available on television anywhere. Okay, that doesn't ever happen nowadays, right? All of us can instantaneously know. I also remember it was like my friend had invented fire. I remember my friend who got the cell phone that had sports scores on it because you also, if you went to a game, if you're around my age, You remember waiting for the updated scores to come on the scoreboard, and they were always like three hours behind. It would be like, you know, the middle of the evening and a game that kicked off at noon, it would be like second quarter. I never understood why they couldn't update the scores better, but that was like you would go into an information vacuum. I remember as a kid going to Nealon Stadium. You're sitting there in Nealon Stadium. They have the ribbon scores. You have no idea what's going on. I guess some of those guys who would wear the headphones in, you might have gotten a better update, but they were always super delayed. I never understood why they couldn't have a more updated scoreboard, even as a little kid. All right, so I'm giving you a little bit of a backstory. All of us got to grow up. I remember when we got cable for the first time. It was like fire had been discovered. I remember my buddy having the phone that could get scores on it for the first time. I remember being like, oh, my God, this changes everything. It's now getting hard to find games. I sit down now sometimes, and I can't figure out how to watch a game. I got to have the fire stick on. I got to have this streaming service signed up. I got to figure out whether we've got the right package to allow me. I don't even know how all this stuff works. I am old school. I want to sit down. I want to go into the guide, and I want to be able to watch every game that is occurring anywhere simultaneously. I want to be able to watch it all. That, we had a blessed era of about 10 or 15 years when that happened. And now we are moving into the streaming era. And that's what this battle between Charter and ESPN is really about. Because Charter is saying, wait a minute, ESPN, you're charging us $10 a month. You know, historically, most people don't watch sports. So the way the cable and satellite bundle worked was everybody paid for every channel. You just didn't notice because all those costs were rolled up into one cable bill. So you might have 150 channels. You're paying a quarter for AMC so you can watch Mad Men. Different than HBO, which everybody understood you had to pay for specifically. ESPN got to $10 a month. So this is a big part of my last book, Republicans Buy Sneakers 2. I walked you through this entire business model. If you haven't read that, I would legitimately encourage you to go read it. Your Aunt Gladys, who has never watched a sporting event in her life, was paying $100 a year to ESPN. And ESPN was using all that money that they made off of 100 million cable and satellite subscribers. There were 100 million cable and satellite subscribers about 2014. About nine years ago, cable and satellite bundle peaked. It was at its absolute apex. You can go back and read me writing about this on Outkick. I 100% nailed this. Cord cutting started. We're now down to about 70 million subscribers. And ESPN, which is owned by Disney, is saying, hey, what we're going to do is we're eventually going to put everything on a streaming service. And people say, oh, that's great. That's a la carte. No, no, you're going to have to pay like $25 or $30 a month for ESPN by itself. No sports fan is saving money in a streaming era. All of us are going to get gouged. Because instead of everybody paying for sports, even though the vast majority of people who had a cable subscription never watched ESPN, now, only sports fans are going to pay, and we're going to have to pay a lot more. And what Charter is saying is, wait a minute, ESPN, you want us to guarantee you payment for ESPN, but you are simultaneously telling everybody, oh, and in the next couple of years, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we're going to go direct to consumer. And you're already seeing that happen with Disney Plus. And Charter is saying, wait a minute. If we're going to guarantee you billions of dollars, Disney, for ESPN and your other programming, we want all of our cable and satellite subscribers to get access to your streaming packages because they're paying for it. They're funding everything that you're buying. And what you're telling us is you're eventually going to yank the rug out from underneath us and we're going to be left holding the bag. No, no, no. As part of any extension, we want access to all of your streaming packages for all of our subscribers. I Me, mean, it makes sense. I love sports. I am a huge sports fan, but ESPN has been gouging cable and satellite subscribers, most of whom don't watch their channel for decades now. And finally, the Charter Communications executives saying, "Wait a minute, you're bragging" about how you're going to offer all of ESPN programming direct to consumer. And in the meantime, you want us to guarantee you billions of dollars when you're going to yank the rug out from underneath us as you see fit, and we're going to have fewer and fewer cable and satellite subscribers. This is a big deal, and ESPN's in a tough spot. This is why they're trying to sell it. This is why they're trying to bail ESPN's got two bad businesses, and a lot of these sport media guys, like, I don't know how dumb they are. They don't understand basic business, you can hate me, I turned myself into a hundred millionaire through sports media. There's like four people who have done that as content guys. Me, Portnoy, uh, Bill Simmons, that's maybe it. I'm not talking about people who build businesses. There's lots of people, Bleacher Report guys did a great job, my buddy Shannon Terry building businesses i'm talking about a guy who just sits down talks to you directly writes articles builds a bit like there's three of us that have turned ourselves into a hundred millionaires as content guys building something that didn't exist otherwise me dave portnoy bill simmons that's it and a lot of these guys who they don't understand basic business and i'm trying to give them a lesson and they still don't cover it espn's business is collapsing they had 100 million subscribers in 2014 they now have 70 million, and that number is dwindling rapidly. They're trying to build a streaming service. They have lost 11 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars Disney has on their streaming service so far. The problem they've got is everybody who signs up for ESPN on streaming, most of those people are going to leave the cable and satellite bundle. Charter understands that. But you're going to have to charge everybody like 40 or $50 a month before all is said and done for streaming to make up for all the money that you're losing on the cable and satellite business. And Charter understands that really it's just sports that is holding the entire cable and satellite bundle together. Because a lot of you out there are struggling. And you're saying, wait a minute, I was supposed to save money, but now I got a Netflix subscription, I got an Amazon subscription, I got a Disney subscription, I got an ESPN subscription, I got Paramount, I got Peacock. All these different subscriptions are adding up, and you're looking at your credit card bill every month, and you're saying, wait a minute, I'm spending, and then I still have a cable and satellite subscription, I'm spending way more money than I ever did on just cable and satellite, and now I can't even find the damn game that I want to watch, and it's only going to get worse. And I'm telling you, there's a reason why Disney stock, as I speak to you right now, has tanked again today and hit a new nine-year low. And by the way, I really enjoy Disney stock, $81 a share right now. Roughly the same price, if I go back and look, Uh, that's the same price that it was in... April or May of 2014. One bit of correction, by the way. I went back and watched the Outkick show. I said Disney stock was at a 14-year low. That was incorrect. I want to correct it. It's at a nine-year low going back to 2014. I misspoke on the Outkick Fox News show. Just want to correct that. Uh, Nine-year low going back to 2014. I said 14-year low. I meant to say 2014 and a nine-year low. Just correct. I like to correct when I get facts wrong. Disney stocks plummeting. Cable and satellite bundle stocks overall are tanking today because this is where we are headed. It is a massive battleground. And for those of you out there who say, why why should I care? One, it's going to get hard to find your games. It's going to get way more expensive. I think that matters. Two, sports leagues, athletes. They've been getting rich off being paid by people who never consume their product the gravy train of the cable and satellite bundle, which is the single greatest media business ever created, is suddenly collapsing, and it's being replaced by streaming, which so far only Netflix has made money from. All of those streaming services you see out there, only Netflix is profitable in streaming. And I would submit it's because Netflix is the only company's whose sole business is streaming. Because what's happening with Disney, what's happening with CBS, what's happening with NBC, what's happening with all of these legacy media companies is they're losing money hand over fist in streaming while their cable and satellite bundles collapse in the meantime. Fox so far is the only major legacy network that did not go all in with a monster streaming service instead, and he looks more brilliant every day for doing it, Rupert Murdoch sold all of his legacy media outlet uh, uh, assets to Disney. And Disney paid over $70 billion for those assets, and now the price is lower for Disney than it was before it paid $70 billion. Remember, Disney has, I think, $45 billion in debt. Uh, they're in trouble. This is a real problem. And increasingly, more and more people are like, oh, this is what's going on. I don't claim to have an MBA. I don't claim to be some business genius. I have a pretty good concept for business. Again, humbly, three people in the modern sports media industry have ever done content and turned themselves into 100 millionaires. Me, Simmons, and Portnoy. By the way, If you wanted to write, if you're a young guy and you're out there, how has no one ever written that article? How has no one ever said, hey, this is a really interesting story. There's three dudes who came on the scene and did content and have turned themselves into wildly successful business people, made themselves into 100 millionaires, Bill Simmons, Dave Portnoy, Clay Travis. You ever seen that article written? Just an idea. I give gifts now. I don't spend as much time writing. I'm thinking about the younger generation. Gift to all of you. How has nobody written like a 10,000 word really fascinating piece on that? I don't know. I would write it if I weren't me. Uh, I love all of you. Get rich on the gambling picks. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. This, my friends, has been Outkick the Show.